Every family or group of friends has a standardized set of stories. The details may change over time, and maybe it depends on who exactly tells the story, but we all have them. Get me and my cousins on my mom's side together, and eventually one of us is going to tell the story of making grandma cry on Christmas Eve. We didn't mean to, or at least I didn't mean to. The, the tradition was that before we could open gifts, all the grandkids had to sing a few of our favorite Christmas songs. I was by far the youngest, so by the time this tradition landed in my five- or six-year-old awareness, it had apparently run its course in the lives of my three teenage boy cousins. So on the Christmas Eve in question, we assumed our singing spots. My cousins in a line shoulder to shoulder behind my sister and me who stood in front of them. Darling picture, right? Got it? Precious even. Enough to warm the heart of any grandparent. So imagine me without my two front teeth suggesting that we sing Away in a Manger because that was pretty much the only song I knew by heart. Beautiful, right? My sister had to sing Jingle Bells. Fun. But then it happened. See, for the hour before all this started, my cousins had been teaching my sister and me a new song. It was a pretty funny song. I thought it was funny anyway. Grandma didn't think so. After Jingle Bells, we debuted our new song, Grandma Got Run Over by a Reindeer. Walking home from our house Christmas Eve. Grandma's eyes got big, and then they got teary, and then she left. We never had to sing before opening our gifts again. Now, here's the thing about stories like this. The first time you hear a story like this, you follow along. If you're anything like a good listener, you pay close attention to what I say, the way I say it. And without really thinking really hard about it, you're paying close attention not only to what I'm saying or how I'm saying it, but also you're paying attention to what I mean. If I told the exact same story a second time, you may listen as well, but it's different when you already know how it ends, right? If I told it a third time, I wonder how many of us might just start checking out, checking our phones for something more interesting, because you've heard it, right? You know what happens, you know why, and you've already come to some conclusions about what it means. How about the fourth or fifth time or the 20th time? How about the 50th time you've heard the same story? Many of us, dare I say most of us who are worshiping together, grew up in the church. And having three kids and walking with a few adults through faith, I know that the first times people hear the stories of Scripture, they are listening. Andrew and Peter just pick up and leave everything they have? Wow! Jesus is baptized, and the first thing that happens is that the Spirit takes him into the wilderness, and, and Jesus is then tempted for 40 days? Why? One of Jesus' own disciples betrays him? What? Jesus raises Lazarus, so Jesus isn't the first to be resurrected? Huh. What I find, though, is that over time, especially with some of the more famous stories, people start to just, you know, tune out. The creator of all things becomes a born creature. I know. The Lord of all, stooping down from heaven to join us on earth. Got it. 
His own 12 disciples desert him. I know. Jesus, a man able to heal others, accepts death on a cross. Jesus rises from that death. He then ascends to the right hand of God. Right. Christmas, parables, cross, death, resurrection. Got it. I've heard it. I know. I know how this goes already. But we don't only do this to the plot of the story. We don't only say to ourselves, I know how this goes. We also, unfortunately, do this to the meaning of the stories. We tune out from asking, what does this familiar story mean? And this happens for a number of reasons, I think, but not just because the stories are familiar. Either, one, a church or a clergy person or a parent, somebody told us what this story means as though the meaning of Jesus or the meaning of a Bible story is a memorizable, quantifiable, certifiable set of facts, like, okay, now I got this story, check. Or you yourself came to an answer at some point in your life that you are satisfied with, and so you have no more need to think about it. And if somebody else shares a perspective or an experience that, yeah, that doesn't fit my own conclusion, maybe you just disregard them. Most Christmases that we have, we'll have 1,200 people come into this worship space. Why doesn't that happen every week? I mean, I know why now, but usually, like in normal times. I've been asked that before. There's many reasons, I'm sure, but one reason I think is because the church and pompous know-it-alls like me have done a fine job over the centuries of taking all the mystery and all the wonder and all the fear and all the joy out of our very familiar stories. People like me, and I'm picking on clergy because we're the most obvious target, but we're not alone in these efforts. People like me have made great efforts to control the message, make it less radical, Tuck in the controversies. Gloss over the parts that are hard to explain or, or hard to believe. Avoid ever having to look into the face of an interested listener who's asked a good, difficult question and just avoid ever having to say, I don't know. I think the church spends so much time protecting and preserving what we think we already know about God that we project an image to our friends, to our family who aren't here as often maybe aren't here at all, and I think they think that we think we have everything figured out. They think we believe in a God that's become completely understood to ourselves, and and that just comes across as phony to many people. Church people like me, and maybe you're like me, seem to have a theology that, that makes everything make sense. It's pretty tidy. We've been known to defend ourselves and what we think stories mean. And as we protect and preserve what church is supposed to be or who God is or who God isn't and what that means to my life and your life and everybody else's lives and what it means to our country and and this world and that issue, I think a lot of people hear our answers, our certainties and our stories. I think a lot of people just kind of tune out. What if instead of proclaiming stories that everybody's heard many times before, like the Christmas story, like Easter, what if instead of protecting and preserving what we think we already know, what if we more often and in more imaginative ways proclaimed an expansive, explosive God 
who does all kinds of inexplicable, unpredictable, strange things, all in an effort to embrace the whole world. What if we went out of our way to tell our friends and family that we don't actually have many answers, that our church works on asking better questions, that we're more interested in following Jesus wherever He leads, however He leads, than we are interested in being right about what, what happens to people after they die, or what, a, what is a sin and what is not, or whether the creation story is to be taken literally or a scientific explanation and, instead of just a, a story about God. I bring all this up today because I'm not sure there's any story in Scripture that makes more people more interested, more curious than the Epiphany story. Whether you're a lifelong Christian or are new to the faith, no matter what denomination you're a part of, this story is really hard to box in. God is undeniably on the loose in this story, including strange people in strange ways. And so it's a great place to practice real curiosity. In the time of King Herod, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea, Magi from the east came to Jerusalem asking, Where's the child who's been born king of the Jews? For we observed his star at its rising and have come to pay him homage. Zoroastrianism is a Persian religion even older than Christianity. As much as anything, it values the meaning shared through stars. We call that kind of a faith practice astrology, not astronomy which is the study of stars, but astrology, which ascribes meaning to the movement of stars through our sky. Zoroastrian priests had gained an international reputation for being very good at astrology. So Matthew tells us that of all people in the whole world, who's going to tell the reigning King Herod, a particularly bad apple, that God is up to something? Matthew wants to make the point that Jesus is born to challenge all earthly powers from kings who rule without justice to you and I who try to rule our own lives. So who's going to put Herod on notice? A lackey, perhaps? Someone who always tells the king what he wants to hear? Someone in Bethlehem who overhears the shepherds? Is that who's going to tell Herod? Hey, you'll never guess what I heard out, in the, out, out there. Of all people, Matthew tells us that astrologists from way out east who practice an entirely other religion, our God used their faith in the stars, God uses their knowledge to bring them to Jesus. But notice they get lost in their way to Jesus. They've got to ask for directions. And they go to Herod. Maybe the Magi don't hear their own insulting question. They ask the king, where's the king? <laughs> The child who's been born king of the Jews, we've observed his star at its rising and have come to pay him homage. Not a very wise thing, actually, to say to a king, where's the king? When King Herod heard this, he was frightened and all Jerusalem with him and calling together all the chief priests and scribes of the people, he inquired of them where this Messiah was to be born. So these Jewish religious leaders quoted the prophet Micah in Bethlehem of Judea. So, he sent them to Bethlehem, saying, Go and search diligently for the child, and when you've found him, bring me word, so that I may also go pay him homage. <laughs> maniacal laugh, maniacal laugh. As Bishop Craig Satterley notes in a commentary he wrote, he says, It's so ironic 
God uses scientists who practice other religions to let King Herod and the chief priests and scribes of the people in on the news that their Messiah had been born. God seems to do whatever it takes to reach out and embrace all people. This is so very true and so very difficult for us to live into. God announces the birth of the long-awaited Messiah to shepherds through angels, to magi through a star, to the political and religious authorities through magi. God is undeniably on the loose in this story, and this is just the beginning. God's reach, God's embrace of the world gets bigger and bigger and bigger from here. Jesus is going to eat with the wrong people. He's going to touch the untouchable. He's going to forgive the unforgivable. He's not even going to obey the law of death. The people of Jesus' day are so busy trying to preserve and protect what they think they already know about God that they don't even see Jesus, Emmanuel, God with us, right there in front of them. It's tempting to tune it all out. God with us, I know, I've heard that. But we don't fully know what that means because God has never been with us in this world in 2021 before with these specific circumstances, with our context, in our lives. God with us today even. As fears and doubt and anger and embarrassment may wash over us as we watch what's happening in Washington. God with us today. What does that mean? We proclaim that God is up to something new. That God is in the business of new creation. But you know, not long after Jesus was born, the story is told that Herod had all baby boys under two killed. He's trying to eradicate the threat to his own throne. God with us then, we see from the beginning, isn't some magic wand that makes days like today not happen. God with us shapes our response to days like today. We're a part of God's new creation even today because God's love, grace, and mercy are a part of our lives every day. We are blessed to be a blessing, gifted to be a gift to this scared, angry, embarrassed, conflicted world. And so we, we keep faithfully bringing questions and wonder and curiosity to these stories that shape us. But we also, through all that we don't know and can't fully understand, we also sing hallelujah for 2021 when God's reach extends further toward us, when God's embrace gets bigger, when God's new creation gets newer. We see and experience a day like today and believing that God makes all things new, we sing hallelujah. Amen.